what is a game? A game is social, a game has immersion, and a game has competition. So constantly you need to weave in those primary needs and then look at each of those sub-branches to sort of like see how do those needs fill in. Welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce, the top podcast for e-commerce insights, where we get to hear from executives leading the charge at the most innovative Fortune 500 companies to the fastest growing startups today and everything in between. I'm Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. And today I got a trip into the virtual world with Barry Hoffman, the Chief Strategy Officer at Zero Light. Barry told me all about the gaming principles that e-commerce brands should be thinking about in their own digital strategies, the future of holograms, and advancements in visual technology across the world of e-commerce. Enjoy. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities? or little discussed financial trends, or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness. Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who wanna break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. You were just mentioning, you know, being in the video game space before anyone else, and I want to hear more about that because that's a very unique perspective, and I've not had any guests on the show talk about, you know, being in the space that early, so... Like I said before, you're the OG in this space. I want to hear your insights and yeah, yeah, more yeah. about that. No, that's cool. I was watching a new series on HBO Max this week, and uh, you know, it's called The Gilded Age. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was watching that episode, and there's a lady and a gentleman are sitting, and they're watching one of those magical candles. You know, like a, where the picture, and then there's another picture being stuck in, a, you know, a magic camera. And that's sort of where commerce is today. You know, like we're putting in pictures mm-hmm. and then if somebody clicks on another button, then another picture comes in. You know, like, so that's that's sort of like where if you go to a website, that's what a website is today. If you then revert back to where gaming was already, I started professionally in it in 2004 and probably as a consumer in 1986 or something like that. You know, like, like mm-hmm. it has always gone from like a 2D flat surface slowly into something you could like interact with 3D objects. So, and the interaction on top of like having high fidelity graphics is what makes gaming different from actually commerce space. If you then look at what we did before, we used to make racing games, you know, like it's all about the experience. It's all about like a sense of speed. At one point, a little bit before 2010, you know, like where we started building online racing platform, we were thinking, can we actually sell cars from an online game? And that was back in the days. It was already an online racing world. And the funny thing is, that didn't work out because like, people come to an online game to experience racing in a virtual state. Yeah. They're not coming there to buy a car. They're not ready to buy. <laughs> but what we were successful in is actually finding out that we could use gaming technology for selling cars. And then that's where we ended up like in 2012, like uh, Tata, which is like uh, the Indian company. 
They're the mother company of JLR nowadays. They just acquired JLR and they wanted to rebrand them and come up with some concept that was never done before. You know, like a massive car on screen and then with Kinect so that you could like do minority report on screen and that kind of stuff. I said, can you guys do that? And we said, yeah, of course. You know, I've been building games for decades. We can do everything, you know, like, like with a bit of bravoure. Wow. So we, we go in there. We build that thing, and in 2013, uh, in Paris Motor Show, there was this like incredibly looking thing. And then all of a sudden, you have other car companies coming out of the woodwork, like saying, "Oh, what you built there? Can you build that for us?" You know, like so we did hundreds of Audi showrooms where like big screens represented the car, not only in the car that was in the showroom, this one physical object, but actually in all the choices that were available there. And those choices were trillions, so you could never put them in a piece of paper. I mean, this is great. It's it's having my mind race to think about first, like how many opportunities are in other industries that can be applied to commerce? I mean, the gaming industry, like you're highlighting, is the perfect space where it's like they're so far advanced when it comes to certain technologies Mm -hmm. and how they're highlighting, you know, anything in that space and taking that technology and then moving it over to commerce. I mean, before we even jump into zero light, I just want to hear like what other opportunities do you think there are that maybe the gaming industry is doing right now that could be actually applicable in commerce? I think, yeah, that's a great question. Like, like when we started working with cars, you know, like it was almost natural because like we were always in that domain space, you know, like uh, our domain expertise was like cars because we were doing car racing. But at the same time, people who worked for us also worked on games like Assassin's Creed, you know, like and things which were far removed from that. So it was not necessarily our only no. But at, at the same time, we said like, let's do something we know which is in our DNA. There was cars. So, so we did that. But as you said, there's many other games, you know, like which you can think of. But the first thing you have to think about is like, what is a game? You know, it's, it's like 3D objects. It's like the 3D objects in a space or, or a range of spaces or a range of scenes. And you actually move from scene to scene and you can interact with the scene. And if the interaction is fun, then actually it might turn into a game. Otherwise, it's basically just walking around in a space, which is a bit like all the discussion about metaverses and that kind of stuff. Like, all of a sudden, everybody walking in a space is a metaverse again. No, in the end, you know, like it needs to be fun. It needs to, you need to have a reason to be there. Like you're not just going to wander around aimlessly. <laughs> exactly. If you, if you think about commerce, if you think about a shopping street, why do you go to a shopping street? Because it's fun. There's something there you want to do. You're not going there just to aimlessly wander. If you want to aimlessly wander or you want to get your 10,000 steps a day, you're going into the forest near Los Gatos where I live or wherever you live. That is nice. You know, like yep. you're not using it. So everything has its own space. So. We've been exploring, of course, the other objects or the other products as well. And what we saw was that it's a convergence of of a range of things. One is, of course, like the gaming technology and being able to show high fidelity graphics on screen that are so believable that almost when you when you see it, you want to touch it and, and you can almost smell the leather or you can almost like feel the stitches if you if you go over it and that's where it becomes more than just seeing it becomes like uh, all, all your senses are being appearing that's one thing so high fidelity so for instance with uh, nvidia and a range of other technical uh, high-end partners coming out with real-time ray tracing where for instance like the shadows rightly appearing when the object is in the space it feels more that the object is really in the space instead of sort of like floating in space that that's that's super important at the same time it is the GPUs, graphical processing units, are they actually strong enough to push that onto your screen? And at first it was only in a gaming computer. Nowadays we have more and more servers so that those two things coming together allowed us to come up with this very high-end graphics that normally only could be done 
like a PC like I have standing next to me, and could bring them together. And then there's like the range of, do you know how you should interact with things? You know, like, does everybody know how to deal with controllers or does everybody know how to deal with voice? You know, like, that's not there yet. So you need to come up with simple ways of how you interact with things. Like, uh, like things, do you look at a camera position? Cameras are an important thing. Controllers are an important thing. So the more and more we have that, and the more and more the cost goes down of the compute, the more smaller products are able to be actually presented in the same way like we do with cars. Yep. Wow. This is definitely really cool to think about how these completely mm-hmm. separate industries could probably converge in a very interesting way that really hasn't been thought about outside of zero light. So maybe first, actually, if you do have a high level of like, what exactly is zero light for anyone who doesn't know? Well, basically, zero light is a, is a leader in the real-time visualization for marketing and sales in the automotive industry. So basically, what, what we have is like, if you, if you normally look at a car on a website of a company, and you want to interact with that car, often it's a picture, and that's about it. And, and those pictures normally have to be created by hand, 100% by hand. And that takes a lot of time. And, and, and what we have done is we've created a range of tools to make the creation of pictures, videos, panoramic shots, AR models a lot easier and faster so that either you can automatically already create them and put them on your platform, or if you want to give them the finishing touch, then the artist can actually do that extra bit instead of having to create them from scratch. And at the same time, we have a platform which is also allowing you to represent a stream of that car so that you can either show it on a screen or in VR or AR in such a way that it looks like a computer game, but then at a super high level. There's a lot of different companies we work with. We work with a lot of like uh, like Amazon, for instance, on the cloud structures, like Salesforce, for instance, on the, on the commerce side of things. And all these things combined allow that not just the visualization, that picture is just there and you click on a button and then there's another color, but that all those other systems, they can do the pricing at the same time. They can look in their inventory, whether there's actually a product there. And that's how we combine things together to create a commerce platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So outside of automotive, is there an opportunity for brands to be thinking about using this kind of technology to highlight their products in a better way? Because right now, I mean, you were mentioning the metaverse earlier. You're, you know, there's all these virtual shopping experiences. And I still feel like what is always lacking is like, that doesn't look real. Or does this product even have to look real? Like maybe certain products you need that, like cars and all the features and you want to interact with it and look at it. And maybe certain products actually don't need this because you make it worse when you try and make it look good and it actually looks worse. So like, what's your view on how commerce brands can be thinking about tapping into technology like this without actually making it a worse customer experience, which is what I've kind of seen here yeah. and there. But they try and I'm like, oh, that's like a C effort right there. No, no, that, that's true. I, th- I think for cars, when it has to be on brand, it needs to be the highest quality. You can't, you can't get away from that. But at the same time, what you see is that brands start to experiment with new emergent platforms. Like if you look at TikTok, you know, like where they start understanding it cannot just be another video without allowing a little bit of user freedom, you know, like that kind of stuff, which is pretty cool. You know, like if a brand allows them to do that, that's, that's, that's definitely cool. At the same time, what we see, and, and again, it goes to the quality, high quality fidelity, you can only get that by actually aiming for that high quality. Mm-hmm. So you can get quality already in at a reasonable transactional level for a product. At the same time, what you're saying, can you get away with lower quality, you know, for certain products? 
I would say it's not maybe necessarily the products, but it's maybe the use case. So what we're doing for a lot of companies is already brochures, where where instead of just having a PDF brochure as a representation of the paper brochure, which I think is always ridiculous, people come up with a, what's the analog of a paper of a paper brochure? Well, let's do a PDF. That's that's missing the point a little bit. What digital can do, you know? Like so, mm-hmm. we came up with much more digital interaction. So at least there's a use why you want to go digital. The next stage is, for instance, uh, manuals. Like if you have like a car manual, and in that car manual, it doesn't necessarily have to look on brand if you can perfect. But sometimes it's better if you can make it functional. And one of some of the things what I can explain, like for one brand, we, for instance, showed, were showing how the coffee cup holder was working. You know, super rudimentary. But if you then do the coffee cup holder, do you put a coffee cup in there, which is like from Starbucks, from Pete's, uh, you know, like from whom? So instead of having that discussion, which coffee cup it needs to be, it's better to have like a generic, almost translucent hologram of what looks like a thing. And then your own mind can make up what it has to look like. So that's where you can actually have a lot more license of freedom because if you don't do it absolutely right, you get into that uncanny valley yep. and then people think it's fake. But if you do it in a way that people think, oh, that's a hologram, that's that's functional, that's where you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, how often are you guys tapping into like using hologram technology? Because this is something where I'm like, I feel like I've seen it here and there, especially with like a person up on stage, like walking around as a hologram. And I'm like, oh, is that here? Like, is that technology ready to be tapped into yet? The funny thing is like, uh, there's various types of holograms, you know, like you could say an AR representation in your phone could be seen as a hologram as well. It's just that you look through your phone and then you see an object in living space. Then I think that's the most successful form of, if you would call it a hologram. Okay. I've seen, of course, like uh, light field projections and those kind of things, you know, like what, what uh, Magic Leap and HoloLens are doing. And I think within the functional space, they definitely currently have a space, you know, like I've seen really good use cases in the marketing and sales space. What is often the problem is that uh, they don't represent black in the right way. It's almost like to represent black in a way how television sets used to do it in the 80s and early 90s. Black was more like grayish. And if you think about the fact that you want to sell a certain paint, black paint on your car, then it yeah, doesn't represent gray, well. Yeah. And that's where you say, okay, let's not do the hologram. Then maybe it works as a, as a you know, like we're a high-tech brand and it's an enabler and then it's a gadget, but it's not yet ready to be that 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 sales tool that's a palette for the for the salesperson or for the you know like configure it yeah what you see is what you get it's not yet WYSIWYG let's call it that way ah bummer (laughs) I was hoping it was there and I just didn't know about it yet (laughs) no I've seen representations which are very good but they need a very big PC attached to it if you if you want to go mobile which allows for higher adoption rates the computer's just not able enough to do it via that so maybe CloudXR will do a lot more with it you know like there's all kind of things converging at the moment but it's not yet there Yeah, hopefully soon. So it was interesting earlier when you were mentioning how a lot of brands kind of get stuck in this like analog mindset. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I mean, humans in general, it's like we keep doing things the way we've always done them. And so when thinking about approaching a brand and being like, hey, stop sending PDFs, like let's actually send something that's more digitized and better. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you see maybe brands doing today like that where you're like, that's an old way of thinking and you're like working with them to like think newer and like add technology to it and make something more, you know, digital. Is there any examples around that? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, apart from the brochure we just talked about, I yeah. think that's a great, a great example. And thankfully, we work with brands like, for instance, Cadillac, where they stepped into it and they really wanted to have that interactive experience. And also Lucid, for instance, uses that. I think another nice experience is, for instance, with uh, Lucid, they have something called Lucid Studio Live, where they say, we want people to look at a configurator, but we also want to allow them to work with a salesperson who's in a, in a digital sales desk. And instead of then doing like what we do, you know, like a, a Teams call or a, or a Google Hangouts call, you know, like, and then I'm going to film the car behind me and this is the car and look at the car and then it looks all blocky and you hope that somebody sees it and they think, yeah, yeah, I can see it as well. But in the end, nobody sees it, of course. What we do is basically we send a stream of that car and that car looks absolutely bright and good. And then we allow them to look at the same car at the same time without putting them in that space themselves because some people start putting avatars in there and then they put the avatar in front of the car and I think, yeah, that's all very nice, but what's what's it about? Is it about the car or about the avatar? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's one way of underusing technology and there's a way of overusing technology. Like, let's stack everything on top of it and then let's call it something, you know, like that's... So that's, that's I think, another example. I mean, yeah, I can definitely see, you see some companies like trying to use every piece of new technology mm -hmm. and name out there mm -hmm. and i think that's a very good point of like don't overuse it especially if it's not solving a problem like great it's great if you want to put an avatar in something okay make a little mini sims world but is that actually gonna get down to what you want to do like what are your goals if you want to sell a car don't add in extra pieces into the process that actually just distract a bit or if you do it know why you do it like for instance from the game again when we talked about the games industry there was a way why certain, uh, like for instance, if you have an avatar, like in, in a game, the avatar is your, you are the hero. So that thing is in the middle. But if you look at, for instance, certain games, like, like shooter games, for instance, sometimes they are switched to the left of the side so that the rest of the screen space is actually completely enabled. So that means on the left side, you still see almost like a, like a heads up display. You see your, 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 your avatar. So you can enjoy that it's your virtual identity there. But it does not take away from being in the middle and standing in front of the object that you want to do commerce with. Because in the end, if it's about commerce, you want to sell, you want to market, you want to do something that entices people, that engages them, converts them. You know, like that, that, that's what commerce is about, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. When thinking about the gaming industry, I mean, are there ever like key gaming development principles that you kind of think back to as you're, you know, moving forward with Zero Light or working with? clients because I mean it seems like there's a lot of overlap in the way to think about things like the example you just mentioned around like there's a way to do it it's just go back to the gaming example example of like it can have an avatar there but put it off to the side but I want to hear how your mind thinks when you're moving forward with these brands and like how often are you kind of thinking back to these gaming principles that you you know kind of grew up around before I went into the games industry, I was the head of customer intelligence of, of Orange, a big telco company. And we were always looking at the needs of customers. The, the, the whole thing was built around needs. We wanted to be customer first and all those things. Great, you know, like, and we were able to build small niches around that that were exciting customers. If you then go into the game, next, I stepped into the games industry and I was trying to think, should I take a look at that from the same principle, like customer needs? And the games industry at that time was still looking at Let's build a big design Bible. Every thought we have, we drop it in the design Bible, then we start building for five years and we've got a game. And I think once we started combining that, I looked at a research and everybody should take a look at the research. It's very old, but it's from a gentleman who used to be at Stanford back in the days. He, his name was Nicky, and he did something called the Daedalus Project. 
And it was such a great thing because it was like an analogy to what I did already in the telco industry. And basically what he said is like, there's three pillars towards, towards a game or let's call it an interactive experience because I use that still to, to answer your first question. What is a game? A game is social, a game has immersion, or, and a game has competition. Those are the three things, social, immersion, and competition. And then the question is, in each experience that you build, there's all kinds of subgroups, and I can send you that one as well. I need to dig it out somewhere, but I constantly think, yes. like, like for instance, if you think about competition, there's like multiple brands of competition. You know, like it could be player versus player, it could be leaderboards, it could be, you know, like, all those things that drive competition or drive engagement. So at one point, we were using a leaderboard in a concept for uh, CES 2019, where we said, how unique is your configuration of your car compared to all the other configurators that they've done? And then people could choose, do I like a unique or a non-unique way? So in a way, you start thinking, can I use that sub-need in the same way? So that's how you can take a look at it. Like in immersion as well, you've got escapism, you've got narrative, you've got all those things. Social, you can think about the fact, does it always need to have a chat box? Because now a chat box sounds like, okay, if you, if you do a virtual world, you need to have a chat box. But hey, sometimes that's only nice if you build up a community and if you have people to manage that community. And I did quite a few of those things, you know, like in the days, but that's where people spend hours. If you've got a commerce moment, you don't have hours. You've got like, well, we've got some applications where people spend more than 40 minutes on average in, but at the same time, maybe it's just where you can sit with one or two or three people, you've got voice enabled, you, you set your Discord on just like you do with games and you can just have a conversation. You don't need a chat box. Constantly you need to weave in those primary needs, social competition, immersion, and then look at each of those sub-branches to sort of like see how do those needs fill in. And of course, you know, this is, there is of course, at the same time, you can take a look at what are the technical capabilities of all those commerce platforms? You know, like, let's take an SAP or a Salesforce, you know, like a, a combination of inventory with CRM tools, with marketing automation. And how can we then use those automated messaging in combination with new input and outputs? You know, like voice, I love voice, you know, like, but sometimes voice is just not good enough. But when it's good enough, it's amazing. Yep. Yep. You know, like, so how can you combine that into, into a new experience that people think, wow, this is how I want to buy stuff or market stuff or get enticed. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext and Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Yeah, there was this new way that people were producing different audio formats um, called, I think it's autonomal. I might be saying it wrong, but essentially you can hear when someone's talking on like the right side of your speaker versus the left mm -hmm. and a truck drives by and it, you can hear it driving by just on one side. And mm -hmm. so it feels like you're in that environment and kind of plays to what you're saying of like, what new things can you do that's just different and that'd be pulling from maybe the media industry mm -hmm. and pulling it into commerce in whatever experience or interactive immersive event that you're building yeah. how can you pull in different parts of it and make something unique that actually has people walking away and being like wow that was something i haven't experienced before yeah. it's a cool way of thinking 
and try to keep it simple. You know, like when you've got a Christmas tree, you don't have to throw in every ball that the shop has. You know, like it, it looks much nicer if you make a nice configuration of that. Like, yeah, unless you have four kids, and then uh, just <laughs> yeah. every every year now, I'm like, oh, my Christmas tree used to be so cute before kids, and now it's just not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also a good analogy, of course. If you've got four kids, then the Christmas tree starts looking like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Until they get older and they have good design principles. And- <laughs> And so the article you mentioned was called Dataless Project. Is that what you said? Yeah. Out of my, the best of my memory, like if you search for Nick E. Stanford, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know where he works now. If, if you look him up, but he was such a, I used his principles in 2004 to sort of like look it up and, and say, okay. And not so much like I looked at it like as a direct, oh, you need to do one-on-one, but more like a framework. Does the framework make sense? And I turned it into my own framework a little bit with these things, but in the end, I have to give uh, you know, this due, you know, like because he did the research, he did, I think, tens of thousands of people in, in World of Warcraft he interviewed and like virtual worlds back in the days. And then you think, eh, isn't that outdated, Barry? Well, to be honest, if you play Destiny nowadays or any of the other like virtual worlds or whether it's Fortnite, you know, in a certain way, they all still do the same thing. I mean, now that you're kind of touching on the newer games, is there anything happening in that industry right now, we were like, oh, that's actually is kind of breaking out of those three principles, or that is a different way that, you know, this game is trying something out. Anything that you actually think like could work though. Yeah, yeah. I think the needs and how you fill them in on primary, secondary won't change because it's human needs. It's not so much Mm -hmm. technology, you know, like like technology enablement allows you to maybe reach deeper towards a certain need, you know, like, like, I love these things, you know, like... What is it? Hold it up? Just a VR headset, like one of those, uh, oh, okay. you know, like... And mm-hmm. I've got a whole range of those things. And What are you doing with the headsets? Like, where are you going in the world? <laughs> I think in 2013, we were one of the first to work on a Kickstarter project with Audi and Oculus. Actually, how do you use VR in showrooms? We, I think we got up to 600 showrooms. Problem was how to get 600 PCs in 600 showrooms, keep them updated and all those things, so... In comes 2022. Finally, we have something called CloudXR where those headsets no longer need to have like a line in a box. I think I do remember one of the SVPs asked me, Barry, what do we need to do to make it work? I said, remove the line, remove the box. I said, that's the easiest thing. Since, and that was in 2015. Since then, I've been working with Qualcomm, NVIDIA, Amazon, you know, Ericsson lately. And you know, I like to say, how do we remove that? But if you, if you, if you put them on, sometimes they're still a bit clunky, you know, like, and they're still heavy. They're, they're a lot lighter than already a couple of years ago. And I'm pretty sure if you talk to some of the older guards, you know, like they used to wear those helmets, which were 20 kilos, you know, like, I don't know. I never was there. And what these things allow you to do is actually stand in the space and immerse yourself in the space. You go to a Lucid showroom. They've got like a whole VR setup in there. Now it's not called a showroom. I should call it Lucid Studio. You go there and they have like a bug standing there. You can immerse yourself in the car, sitting in the car, walking around the car while wearing a headset. So that means, okay, there's a, there's a physical car there. So you can feel the paint. You can touch the paint. There's like samples of it. But if you want to immerse yourself, what does the car look like while I'm on, on a beach, in a desert, in a night scene? That's a different way of how a product is represented. You know, like a product is not always on a white background with the right lighting. A car can be standing at night in your driveway and the paint might look different then. In the range of immersion, it allows for a much stronger level of immersion. You know, the goosebumps you get from your first 
good VR experience is, is incredible because for the first time you are in a virtual world, you're taking part in it instead of like sitting back in it and, and playing vault mode, mm -hmm. basically. Yep. What the problem with that is, and we've, we've worked on that from the start, we've never released anything that wasn't what we call comfortable technology. And comfortable technology is the first KPI to do it right, meaning it is ready to be shown in front of an audience instead of just people wow because like people used to do things that people got sick out of it and I never want to do it. I know. Comfortable technology, KPI one. Then the next one is again, conversion engagement. Yeah. So do you think we're there now where it's like people can use this technology and actually feel good? Because yeah, I've actually had a couple of those experiences when trying out different VR headsets and experiences when I was back in my Google days and I definitely remember walking away and being like, whew, that uh, was intense. And it definitely felt real, but I also feel a little bit sick from just how I was moving around and looking at things and my eyes weren't adjusting quick enough, I guess. It's true. No, no, but you're absolutely right. If, if you don't design right, again, there are other design principles. You know, there's design principles like on the technology side, you know, your frame rate needs to be correct. You know, like it cannot be just 60. You have to have up to 90 or your faking 90 by doing double 45 or even more you know like that those are principles but they're same principles as if you let people move in a thing and you move them without walking and then you're standing and you feel almost like you're one of those skateboards that isn't moving that what makes sick as well and if you move too fast with people you need to diminish the eyesight that so that people are not that it doesn't move too fast here because like on the outer edges of your eye it's actually uh, creating more of that sickness than just on, on in the start of your eye, you know, like those kind of things. So if you use the right kind of principles, you can create comfortable technology. And as long as it then helps 100%, because like when you sell a car, you don't want one person walking away from you, you know, like 100% it has to be comfortable, then it can help actually sell a marketed car. If, if it drives, like for instance, I think the first real commercial after we finally got out of Lots and lots of trials and stuff like that where we were doing mass was around 2015, I think, or 2016. And we were getting into the hundreds of them. And that's where, for instance, Audi said, like, it's good enough now. And with Lucid, you know, like, it's good enough or it's good enough. It's good. It's great. You know, like, it, it's, it's a great tool to sell. So that's there today. What isn't there today is that the wide adoption rate of those headsets. What isn't there today is currently doing that via the cloud so that where there is a wider range of adoption rate with these kind of things, and hopefully it grows faster with lots more coming out, that it can just go anywhere. You know, like a, we have a new generation of GPU servers coming out. We have a lot higher bandwidth with G5. You know, Wi-Fi standards have improved the last few years. So, yes, there's another conversion point. Uh, we're on the edge today. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's epic. I want to hear about maybe a project that you've worked on that maybe you got way more engagement than you ever expected. Like you built it and you're like, ah, I don't know if this is really going to be like that great. It's kind of a test. It's an experiment. And then maybe it had way better user adoption. The client was like really happy with something that was kind of an experiment to you all. So, I mean, it feels like you guys are kind of startup-y experimenting, trying a lot of things, moving to different industries. And I'm sure there's probably, there has to be an interesting story of you guys putting out an experiment and being surprised with the result. Yes. Partly surprised, partly hopefully not, because we were in the end, just as in the gaming industry, you test, 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 and then you're you're releasing. You know, like when you were in the app industry, you know, like you you would uh, go to New Zealand, test out there, and then you would go to America. You know, like that kind of stuff. You know, like and later on when that became too expensive, you went to other other countries which had like lower 
add rates and then it would go there. But you would test, test, test. And if it wasn't good enough, you would throw it away and do do again. Like what we've done with uh, a couple of OEMs, like uh, let me name the last one, you know, because it's public knowledge, you know, like so I can talk about it. Like what we did with Lucid is like when I spoke with them and when I spoke with the current uh, people leading the, the project there, like Thomas Orange and also the senior vice president of design Derek Jenkins, they were such thought leaders in what they wanted. You know, like they, they were not just saying, I want your technology, but they said like, I see that your technology allows me to do what I want, and that is represent my product in such a way that it can be seen how it was designed. You know, like so if you zoom in on a very small detail in the chair in one of the lucid configurators, you can see the California bear next to the stitches almost. You know, like that that's oh, that's, that's the cool. level of detail that you can do. You know, th- there was one thing. So their considerations matched our technology. I think that's that's important. You know, like if it's just technology for technology's sake, every project fails. So I think, but always when you see somebody so matching with you, you're pleasantly surprised because you always hope for it, but you never go for it. You know, like that kind of stuff. But seeing the results, which are public, where we've got higher engagement, higher conversion, higher transactional value of people actually immersing themselves with platforms like that than traditional ones, and not just a little bit, but really plus 50%. That's that's the result that, that you can just say, okay, it was not just a very pleasant collaboration, but it was also a very pleasant result. So that, that was good. And then we started building on top of that. So instead of just, like I said, with the Christmas tree, instead of saying, here's the Christmas tree and hang everything in, at one point we had something and you say, look, okay, what's missing from the tree? You know, you start... Uh, adding some things and that's what we've been doing for the last two years and more and more is added so that it's that is good framework and that adds that builds them towards the future and also towards the moment where they started launching started delivering the first cars you know like the platform grew with them and at the same time if you see maybe another case where Volkswagen uses the same platform to not launch their brand and their platform but actually help represent the car in so many different ways in I don't know, 30, 40 odd countries, you know, like with all their different needs is where we've given them a backend say, you can do whatever you want. You don't need us as your restricting factor. And they come up with lots of different cases. Every country has their own needs. And every time somebody comes up with that, you think, oh, that's cool. You know, like, yeah. Wow, that's cool. Okay, so where do you see the industry heading then over the next like one to two years? What are you most excited to see hopefully play out? It's funny because like I've been sp- talking about so much experience things and stuff, so you might think it's a little bit dull, but I'm, I'm actually most interested in integration with backends. Okay. Like let's say a CRM platform, like a Salesforce, an ERP platform, like other partners, like dealer software. And the reason why that is, is the moment that commerce or, or experiences become directly attached to the existing commerce platforms, that is where everybody adopts at a much faster rate, not just the consumers, but also the people within the companies. And once they start seeing, oh, it's not that difficult, and oh, it's just an API connection, it's a, it's it's not magic, it's not black magic or something, because sometimes people go, oh, it's black magic, you know, it's too difficult for me, or I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. So I, I get very excited that maybe it's less sexy, but I think for the adoption rate of things, it's going to matter. And that's that's why I'm, why I'm happy about that one. Yeah, I like that. Where I feel, you know, XR is going to take a massive flight, you know. Like, but then again, I'm, I'm a huge fan, so I might be too much of a fanboy, you know. But yeah, <laughs> I, I believe that. Yeah. So tell me then, if you're getting those platforms to work together, I mean, we can use 
Salesforce, as an example, there are lovely sponsors of the show. So I'm always going to talk about them. Tell me what that looks like of like, what is a perfect integration and experience look like to where, you know, a brand can come and be like, yep, I want to use this in a way that they trust it and it works. Like, what does that look like when you're working with like a Salesforce and making that happen? No, that's cool. Yeah. Like, like if you think about sales cloud, for instance, sales cloud is, is your typical vanilla CRM platform, you know, like somebody called to the call center and information is filled in the, in the back end. And there's name, there's like a last name, first name, age, whatever you, you fill in from a customer. But at the same time, if you have a product and you have product needs, we automatically add to that conversation what kind of colors they looked at, what kind of cars they looked at. So there's a whole range of, of user behavior or what the customer wants to keep linked to QR code so they can look at it themselves as well, which is then automatically stored in the backend. And it can look like a picture, can look like a video, can look like an AR. Take that same representation now, not for B2B or a backend or, or a call center employee or, or somebody on the web team, but then the customer itself who wants a virtual takeaway from that same conversation that that person might have at a website or maybe in a retail space, you know, like interacting with digital, they get a virtual takeaway, which is heavily personalized towards what they looked at. So then let's say you've got 20 colors, but they only looked at five. You don't need a brochure with 20 colors. You need one with five. And maybe with another recommendation, hey, have you thought about this? Out of that same tool, you can use, for instance, Marketing Cloud. You can use a marketing automation. And you could use Marketing Cloud to send out a virtual takeaway that represents the same thing as in the Sales Cloud backend. And that represents the same thing as configured in Commerce Cloud where they configured a certain part of the car. And those platforms together, they all use visual representation of that car, store it somewhere in bits and bytes, you know, like, or as an object, depending on how you want to store it the most efficiently, that, that depends on that, those platforms. And in the end, help the customer make decisions, make them happy that they received the color they looked at. It's never going to be a conversation, oh, yeah, I saw a certain green. And then somebody says, is it this green? No, no, it's not that green. No, they both look at the same type of green. You know, like a, simple things like that. And once you start matching, there's like handover between platforms. Like if I do something, I want the data to go from platform to platform because I, I as a customer expect you to know what I choose. Then there's business intelligence. So for instance, uh, Salesforce has Tableau as well, you know, like one of their business intelligence platforms. And people want to see a report. What color was most chosen? Then you're not saying red, but you show the red next to it. So that's business intelligence. And then the last bit of data is like machine to machine. It's basically what we call machine learning, AI, that kind of stuff. So platform to platform, business intelligence, machine to machine. And, and then you can start saying to people, for instance, they don't want to click on the red, but you might hint towards them. Hey, if you thought about opening the door? And if they open the door, there's a faster journey towards like the buying experience. We did one of those setups as well with one of our car companies. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. I love that example. It helped me think through every stage of it, which is yeah, really, really cool to hear about. Okay. So my last thing, I want to kind of pivot away from the industry and go into Barry's life. I want to hear what comes to mind when I say tsunami and how that maybe changed the course of your life. Oh, wow. How do you know that? <laughs> no. I've been doing my research, Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it, ch it changed the course of my life or our lives, you know, like my, my family's life in a way that 
Yeah, paint the picture. Where were we at? What was happening? When we're in the middle of that, like I think we were in the middle of uh, Kaolak, which was like in Thailand, when the wave hit in the morning, you know, like we woke up and the wave came by and thankfully we were high up on a, on, on a dune. So when we ran out, you know, like we did what most people did, you know, try to help other people, try to grab hold of them and get them out of the water and get them to safety. And that was like an hour two hours of like running around and just grabbing people up and dumping them in trucks and letting them drive away. And I do remember at one point being back in safety that we were the last to leave that area. We were going up the hill and I was sitting beneath a waterfall. You know, like, and I was always having a heat stroke because I was wearing my diving shoes from diving into the water to try and grab somebody else. And then I was sitting there and of course I couldn't get my heat off. So I was just sitting on that waterfall and I was like, wow, this was crazy. And only later we realized that we were there and instinctively we were doing, I think, the right things, you know, like, and also later on, we, we stayed there and we helped out people in hospitals and that kind of stuff. So it helped us come over maybe what would have been a trauma otherwise, you know, like, and so instinctively we did the right choices, but we also thought like maybe if we would have known a bit better what to do, we could have helped better, you know, like, so, and I don't know why the, why the church made it afterwards. We became part of the lifeguards in the, in the Netherlands where we lived there back then. And we, you know, we did that for quite a few years until our daughter was born. because, like that, you know, like you have to spend your time in that. There was one, I think, direction of what life took us. At the same time, at that point, I was working in corporate and I was like uh, doing like data and, you know, like I love data science. Absolutely enjoyed that. But I was missing some components where it was going to. At the same time, some of my best friends were building like computer games. And they said, like, hey, why don't you come in and, and actually help us build the virtual world? You know, like, so what nowadays we talk about metaverses in 2004 were called MMORPGs. And people were walking around like elves and orcs and mechanisms. They still do, you know, like, <laughs> and hey, you were trying to build that. And I said, okay, why don't we combine data and that kind of stuff? And I said, like, I want to step out of corporate. I want to become part of a startup and I want to help build something that's, that's the next stage. You know? like, so, so I think in a way it helped us make life choices faster, but thankfully it didn't damage us. We, we saw a lot of sadness, grief, and, and thankfully we, we were able to help, I don't know, as many people as we could, you know, like, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that could, Afterwards, we, we thought we did the right thing on, at most of the steps. One of the things, I was with Orange. Orange was one of the telco providers there. But because they were not being used that much, for some weird reason, somebody said they need to be the telco provider there. And because they were not reached that much, that telecom must was still free. So I could let everybody call towards their family who were with us back then because it was not overused to the, the, the BTS yet. And, you know, like all these little things mattered at that moment. Uh, communication, you know, like not being able to communicate and only hearing 12 hours later through a world radio because, like, there was nothing else there anymore. Like, what was really going on? But yeah, we can go on for hours. So to... Yeah. No, I mean, that's why I wanted to hear the story because I just heard a little snippet of it. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, not only having so many reasons to cherish everything around you, but then also change the trajectory of your life and hop into a whole new thing. I need to hear the story from Barry firsthand. Yeah. Well, I think in the end, you know, like it gives you perspective. Uh, be careful not to start. Uh, I don't know what the English term for it is because I've never used it anymore since I talked through it. But like it's relative, relative, you know, like it's sort of like 
once something happens like that, some people say, oh. Oh, yeah, it's all relative. It, it was me, and why was it me that, that was saved, and that kind of stuff. So you have to sort of, like, very quickly go through that phase, you know, like that. And, you know, at that point, like, it really helps to talk with, with, with a professional. That was one of the few times in my life that I, you know, like, I talked with a professional for that kind of thing. You know, like, I, I love working with professionals in every skill set, you know, like, with, yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, that's great. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. And mm-hmm. yeah, really good story. I wanted to, yeah, just hear a bit more about. So Barry, I really loved having you on the podcast today. I really like thinking about the gaming industry and all the principles that can be applied. It's such a different train of thought that I actually want to go down the wormhole and check out that blog post or paper that was written. So yeah, thanks for being a great guest. Mm-hmm. And until then, where can people learn more about you? Uh, yeah, and thanks, Stephanie, for making this available to me. You know, like, like, and if people want to know more, of course, they can, uh, you know, they can find me on the Hoffman and L, I believe it is. You know, like, and, and of course, they can go to zerolight.com, Z-E-R-O-L-I-G-H-T.com. You know, like that's that's I think the best place. You know, like if you reach out to Infohead, there's always somebody reacting. You know, like, and uh, we always take time with people to find out how technology works best. We love speaking with people about. Their problem statements, not necessarily problems, but problem statements, their needs, their thoughts for the new year, you know, their thoughts for the future and see if it can fit. And sometimes we just love tech, talking technology. So even if there's no fit at all, just reach out and we'll make them. Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much, Barry. Thank you. Bye-bye. listeners thanks for tuning into this episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did if you haven't already please subscribe rate and review this podcast it helps spread the word and i would greatly appreciate it see you next time Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.